Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 19 again today, and we're going to be beginning in verse 16. And the title of the message is, The Crucifixion, Were You There? Hear the word of the Lord. So he delivered him over them to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, (coughs) the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead... They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it is born witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. Were you there when they crucified my Lord was a spiritual first published in William Eliza Barton's 1899 Old Plantation Hymns. It was likely composed by uh, enslaved African Americans. In the 1940s it was included in the Episcopal Church Hymnal making it the first spiritual to be included in any major American hymnal. I wonder if the sufferings of uh, African Americans in slavery helped those 
help those understand a little bit clearer the sufferings of Jesus as he died for us. I think of this uh, spiritual often around Easter time as, as I seek to understand the cross of Jesus. And as I try to transport myself uh, to see it as if I were an eyewitness to that central event in history. The Savior dying in my place, in your place. Uh, listen simply to some of the words. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. This morning I'd like us to try to imagine ourselves, place ourselves at the cross and see anew what the Savior did for us as He died for us. I want us to try to imagine ourselves as witnessing these events for the first time uh, from John's point of view. Sometimes we get so familiar with the things of the gospel that they lose their impact. And today, let's try to see it once again as if we never saw it before. See the Savior providing for us the complete forgiveness of our sins. See the Savior providing for us the complete forgiveness for our sins. Look at Him today. Try to see Him today. First of all, see the Savior proclaim King even by those who refuse to believe. See the Savior proclaim King by even those who refuse to believe. The trial of Jesus probably would have concluded with the formal sentencing by Pilate And as he would say, you will go to the cross. Jesus was then given to a group of soldiers. And and they ultimately took him to the cross. And he carried his own cross, probably at least as far as the city gates, Jesus carried his own cross. The other gospels indicate that that, uh, during the march to the cross, Simon of Cyrene uh, carried it carried it for Jesus part of the way to the place uh, called Golgotha, the place called the Skull. We don't really know why they drafted Simon to do this. You know, we see Christian traditions that people imagine that he fell on the way to the cross, but the scripture really, if you read it closely, it doesn't say that. Uh, Maybe the Romans just wanted to make sure he got to the cross because Part of the reason they did the cross was to terrify anyone who would rebel against Rome. So they didn't want people to die on the way to the cross. For whatever reason, they drafted Simon to carry uh, Jesus' cross part of the way, uh, part of the way to Golgotha Hill. But Jesus carried it some of the way. We know um, when he arrived at Skull Hill. When Jesus arrived at Skull Hill, he was nailed to the cross between two criminals. Um, somehow they, they would take his hands and they would nail them to that crossboard. They would lift up that, that big middle part and they would attach it to probably the other piece that was there just continually. And then they would nail his feet uh, to the cross. And, and Jesus was nailed to the cross and the scripture tells us he was nailed there between two criminals. On the cross was placed a formal charge um, it, uh, a sign, there was a sign, a placard there on that cross that, that would state the su- supposed crime of the one being crucified. 
And Pilate had ordered that it to be, uh, to be written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That was the formal charge against Jesus. It was written in three languages. It was written in the official language of the empire, which would be Latin. Uh, it was written in Aramaic, the language of the people of Israel. But it was also written in Greek, the kind of international language for anyone who did not know Aramaic or Latin. And so it would be written so that anybody that would come by could read that sign and see its proclamation, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now when the chief priest uh, saw this sign, they were upset. And they wanted the sign uh, not to say Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, but they wanted the sign to say, this man said he was the king of the Jews. You see, they saw it as an insult to them. And I'm pretty sure it was an insult to these leaders. Pilate did not like these, uh, these leaders. And, he, and it was his way of kind of getting revenge on the, on the leaders who, who, who basically forced his hand. It was as if Pilate was saying uh, that this bloodied and crucified king is the kind of king the Jews deserved. That was kind of Pilate's dig at them. However, even in this, God was using Pilate to proclaim the truth to Jesus in the world. And the truth is, this one bloodied and crucified is the king and savior every human being needs. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the world. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All who would pass by would read this truth proclaimed in a language that almost anyone in the world could understand. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He was the Messiah that had been prophesied. He was uh, dying as God's suffering servant for the sins of the world. Uh, He was bruised for our iniquities. Uh... By his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, he was that suffering servant, dying for the sins of the world. And Pilate, even in his ignorance, was proclaiming that truth. Was proclaiming that truth. You know, uh, sometimes we get all worried about people that seem to be hostile to the gospel. And that seem to seem to try to uh, shut believers down and silence them. Uh, you know, we read about events like happened in, in uh, the state this week about freedom from the religious foundation. There, there was a, a certain pastor that went into schools. He talked about his, uh, his uh, deliverance from drugs and alcohol, encouraged kids not to bully and stay away from drugs and things like that. But he also invites them to his... Uh, his evangelistic meeting he invites them to look at his website. Well, the the Freedom from Religions Foundation did not like that at all. And so you may have seen publicity about that. But the truth is, as they publicized him speaking that and doing that, people all over the state and all over the country began to look at this guy's website and began to read about the message of Jesus. You see... Um, even those who try to oppose the Jesus actually sometimes increase, uh, in, increase those who listen to the truth of the gospel. Um, 
You don't oppose those you do not fear. And so even Pilate, in his opposition, was proclaiming the truth of Christ. And the world in its opposition is often proclaiming the truth of the Messiah, of Christ, that he is the king of the Jews, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the only hope for the world. See the Savior proclaimed King and Messiah even by those who refuse to believe. Secondly, see the Savior fulfilling prophetic scripture by those who carried out his act of execution. Now the execution squad would probably be four uh, made of, of I think it's called the Quantarian. I think that's the correct word. But it's made up of basically four soldiers with, with the commander, with a centurion that would uh, make sure they did their jobs. These men would completely strip Jesus and nail him to the cross. <clears throat> you know, the pictures we have of Jesus having uh, something around, uh, you know, uh, him was probably not correct. They completely humiliated those they crucified. And one of the things they did was they crucified them completely naked. Jesus, uh, at that time, he would have, had, he would have uh, had four garments that they would strip off of him. He would have had a headgear, something around his head, some kind of belt. He would have had some sandals, and then he would have had an outer garment with fringes. Uh, um, and, and so they would take these garments, and there would be four soldiers. And these four soldiers uh, were supposedly entitled to the clothing of those they executed, so they, they would divide these four garments. But Jesus also had uh, an undergarment that was a, a, tu- a seamless tunic. And so instead of ripping this undergarment up uh, that was seamless and dividing it in four parts, basically giving each man four, a rag, they decided to gamble for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the tunic... And, uh, and whoever won would take that, that uh, tunic for themselves. They would get an extra thing, so to speak. Gambling was a pastime of soldiers back then, as it, as it is, often is today. That's what they were doing as they were crucifying Jesus. But you know something? Without realizing it, they were fulfilling the Scripture. They were fulfilling the Scripture... The scripture in Psalm 22:18 that says, "They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." You know, read Psalm 22. It's pretty much of a of a messianic psalm. So they were were without realizing that uh, in this execution, fulfilling scripture. Now later, after Jesus had died. The Jewish leaders asked Pilate to break the legs of the condemned on the cross to hasten their deaths. Why did they do this? Because they did not want uh, these uh, condemned people hanging on the cross during their celebration of unleavened bread and Passover. Now, breaking the legs, they would take a big mallet and they would break the legs of the men hanging on the cross. This would hasten their death because basically the cross was meant to be a slow, excruciating death. It was meant to, 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 to cause people to fear. And it was meant to be terrifying and horrible and excruciating. Now on the cross, 
you would, they would hang you by your arms, and then they would put you, uh, you would have to tiptoe, and, uh, and what would happen was, uh, as you hung there, in order to get a breath, you would have to, you would have to tiptoe, you'd have to do what you could to raise up so that you could take a breath in. Well, if you break the legs of someone, no longer able to do that, and so that would hasten the death. That would hasten to death. And so the leaders asked that Jesus uh, and that those, those others condemned to have their legs broken so they could take their bodies down from the cross so they wouldn't defile the land. That's, you know, that's kind of interesting as you think about it, isn't it? These leaders didn't mind seeing an innocent man condemned, but their scruples Still, still did not want this to interfere with their, with their outward religious ceremonies. You know, Bruce Milne um, wrote, It's sobering to remind ourselves again that those chiefly responsible for the death of Jesus were profoundly religious men. As Never observed, religion is not as frequently supposed a fundamentally virtuous human quest for God it's rather the final battleground in the struggle between God and human self-esteem. You see, humans don't want to say, we can't do anything to save ourselves. It's only what Jesus has done for us that saves us. We want to have religion. We want to have a way. We want to have rituals that would make us right with God. Something we can do. But it doesn't work like that. All the religious rituals in the world cannot make you right with God. What can wash away my sin, as the old hymn goes? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, Pilate sent the soldiers to hasten the death of those condemned. They broke the legs of the two men who were crucified alongside of Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. They saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs for that reason. But just to make sure, just to make sure, one of the soldiers stuck a spear up in Jesus' side, probably under his rib cage, and, and, and there was a, a, a gash in the body of Jesus, and the scripture says that when he did that, blood and water flowed out, uh, leaving no doubt of Jesus' death. Blood and water. Now, some have said this was kind of the heart would have almost, you know, Jesus didn't, Jesus gave up his spirit. And we're going to read about, we're going to talk about that in a minute. He gave up his spirit. He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he laid down his life. He had the power to lay it down. He had the power to take it up again. And so he laid it down. And, uh, and so possibly, you know, this, you know, this is one explanation of why there was water and blood that came pouring out. Uh, but it proved that Jesus was completely dead. Now, there are those who still today claim Jesus didn't die. He just kind of fainted. They took him down from the cross and the cool, the cool of the grave revived him. What's well, absolutely ridiculous to know all that Jesus went through to say that could have happened. And, and uh, three days later, he could be walking around. It's, it's absolutely an impossible thing. It's also impossible because every single one of those apostles that were witness to that, except maybe John the apostle, was martyred because they said Jesus rose from the dead. 
So, so John was saying, I'm writing these things so that you might believe. I want you to know these things happened. Jesus did die. He was dead as a doornail. And then he rose from the grave never to die again. The sacrifice of Jesus was accepted. So they, they put the spear in his side and, and proving he was dead. And then, uh, and, and, and then even though these uh, soldiers did not realize it, they were again fulfilling prophetic scripture in two ways. First of all, <coughs> there was a prophecy that no bones would be broken in the coming Messiah. No bones would be broken. <coughs> Secondly, uh, there's a prophecy that says they will look on the one they have pierced in Zechariah. One day, every one of us will see the one pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. We will see that, that pierce that he received for us and for our sins. You see, as Jesus was dying for us, he and those around him were fulfilling prophetic scripture. Because the word of God will, will in no way fail to be completely fulfilled. It will no, in no way fail to be completely fulfilled. And so see the Savior fulfilling prophetic scripture by those who carried out the act of execution. Thirdly, see the Savior from the cross caring for those whom he loves. Now, as Jesus was dying the cross, there were four of his female disciples. <coughs> we think it was four. It sounds like four as we read John's um, gospel and we read the other accounts. Um, there is question maybe... Maybe some of the women, uh, you know, uh, some of the description just describes one woman instead of two. But I, the best of my understanding, it seems to be four. There seem to be four women standing near, four of his disciples uh, who loved Jesus. Um, and they were near the cross. And also by that time, John the Apostle, who we believe is the writer of the book of the Gospel of John, the one as he refers to himself, the one whom Jesus loved all through the Gospel, was also there. It's very interesting that these women uh, exhibited the courage to be near Jesus, even when most of the men had scattered. There were Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, and, and uh, Salome. Salome. And we think maybe Salome was the mother of James and John. And some have suggested that she might have even been a sister to Jesus. Now, you know, that's speculation. We don't know. But these four women were there. When Jesus was on the cross, he saw his earthly mother. He saw her there. And, he, and as he saw her there, even from the cross, even as he's dying for our sins... He provided for his mother. He said, woman, behold your son. As he looked at John, the apostle whom he loved, standing there. And then he looked at John and he said to her, woman, uh, behold your mother. He said, behold your son. Jesus entrusted his mother to the care of, of his disciple. Um, of, his, of the disciple that he left. He wanted to make sure his mother was taken care of. 
even while dying for the, our sins and the sins of the whole world, Jesus specifically paid attention to individuals. He paid attention to his mother and provided for them. He pays attention to you and I and provides for us. Now you may think that you're just one among many that Jesus died for. And that is true. You see, it wasn't just for each of us individually that Jesus died. As 1 John 2 says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But Jesus also knows you individually. And he cares for you specifically. The Bible says he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. He doesn't just know that you have 6,000 hair. He knows hair number two and hair number 4,730. That's the kind of how specifically God knows you. And even though he's dying for the sins of the world, he knows you individually and he cares for you specifically. You see, Jesus, as, just as Jesus met the needs of his earthly mother uh, and his close friend, he also wants to do that for you. He works in our lives as we follow him, as we seek his face. That doesn't mean he makes everything easy. That doesn't mean we don't have struggles or problems. But that does mean he walks with us individually uh, as, as we go through whatever we go through in life. As we go through the difficulties and the good times, Jesus walks with us. Because, he, because his love is just not generic for the whole world. His love is specific for you and for me. See the Savior from the cross caring for those he loves. And finally... See the Savior from the cross uh, finishing all that was necessary for our forgiveness and redemption. After these things, after the cry of Jesus from the cross, my God, my God, why has that forsaken thee? After the, the three hours of darkness falling on the land in the middle of the day, Jesus knew that everything was completely done. All that was necessary for our forgiveness and redemption was done. All that was necessary as he revealed the heart of the Father was done. All that was necessary to complete the will of God was that Jesus had done. He had done all that was necessary. And so consciously fulfilling uh, scripture from Psalm 69, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a jar of sour wine, which is probably what the soldiers would drink. Just a jar of sour wine. Uh, and so they put a, put a, filled a sponge with the sour wine, and Jesus took a drink. Now, earlier, you remember, Jesus did not take a drink of sour wine and myrrh, because myrrh would have deadened the suffering. And so he didn't do that earlier, but now he did that. And so he did it to fulfill Scripture, and he did it, I think, because he wanted to be able to shout a final victorious kind of cry as he hung on the cross. They gave him, uh, they put on a piece of hyssop, and that's very interesting, that connects, hyssop connects it to the Passover, where they would take hyssop branches and then they would put the blood of the lambs around the lamppost. Well, it says they took a, a piece of hyssop, they put the sponge on it, and they gave Jesus a drink. After he had taken the drink, he cried out in victory, It is finished! 
And it wasn't just like, it is finished. It is finished. It was a cry. It is one word in the Greek New Testament. And, I, and I, if I pronounce it right, it's tetelestai. Tetelestai. And it, that could be translated, it is completed. It is fulfilled. It is done. The debt is paid. That's what Jesus cried out uh, on the cross, this great cry of victory. In this cry, Jesus was proclaiming everything necessary for our forgiveness has w- was done. Everything necessary to reveal the heart of God was done. You see, the cross reveals the heart of God. It shows that God hates sin because His own Son was suffering uh, the punishment for our sins in His place. Don't ever take lightly sin because the cross shows that God is a holy God and that he will deal with sin. He will deal with it justly through his son Jesus. If you will believe in him, that will be counted as your forgiveness. And so it shows the heart of God how he, how he, how he has to deal uh, with sin in, in, in this horrific way of, of allowing his son to die for us in our place. But it also shows the heart of God that God so loved the world that he was willing that his son would give his life for us. So it, it's everything that needed to be done was completely done. Um, you see, this was sacrifice was sufficient. Now the people of that time had to give sacrifices year after year after year. But none of those sacrifices were enough to pay the debt of sin. None of them were enough. They just kind of covered over sin ceremonially. And they pointed to the time when the Lamb of God would come who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' death as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world completely and totally atoned for sins. The debt is paid. Paul wrote, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The writer of the Hebrews wrote, Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The sacrifice of Jesus is not continually. It is once for all. It never needs to be done again. The writer of the Hebrews also says he didn't enter by the means of blood of the blood of bull, goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by the blood uh, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And the writer of the Hebrews also wrote, "And by that will we, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all." You see, Jesus only needed to die once. And that was sufficient for you and I to be saved and our sins to be forgiven. There's nothing else needed. There's nothing else needed for the forgiveness of our sins. Nothing else will be provided. People say, well, God's narrow, you know. He just, just one way. You, you Christians believe one way. Well, I want to say to them, what else did God need to do? You want him to have Jesus come again and again and again? Once is enough. The debt is paid. Jesus paid it all. And so through him, all our sins can be forgiven. Past, present, and future, all our sins will be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Warren Wisby wrote this. There was once an eccentric 
um, evangelist named Alexander Wooten. He was approached by a flippant young man, and, and, he, and the young man asked, What must I do to be saved? And Alexander Wooten replied, It's too late! He went, and then he continued to go about his work. Well, the young man became alarmed. Do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? Do, uh, is there nothing I can do, he said. Too late, said Wooten. It's already been done. It's already been done. The only thing you can do is believe. The only thing we can do is receive it. The debt's been paid. Either we believe Jesus paid the debt, or we're going to try forever to pay that debt, and it will never be enough to pay that debt. But what Jesus did was enough. The debt's paid. No sin. No sin is greater than the sacrifice of Jesus. You realize that? I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know maybe the things that you've done that you, you, wish, you wish you hadn't have done and you, you live in continual guilt and shame. But I want to tell you, the blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse you from that sin. And He will cleanse you from that sin if you will come to Him. But I also want you to know that there's no sin small enough that can be atoned for without the cross of Jesus. People today think, I don't need Jesus to die for me. Ted Turner one time says, I didn't need Jesus to die for me. And I wanted to say, yes, you did. Yes, you do. Because without Jesus dying for you, there's no forgiveness for your sins. No, no sin is small enough to be atoned for without the cross of Christ. You see... Jesus paid it all. The work has been done. And the only question we can ask ourselves today is, will we believe in the finished work of Jesus? Can you see the cross before you today? Can you see Jesus dying for the sins of the world, dying for your sins and my sins? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Were you there when they pierced him in the side? Were you there when the sun refused to sign? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? If you can see it, if you can grasp a little bit of what it means and believe in the one who did that for you and me, the one who death could not hold, who, who conquered death by rising, your sins could be forgiven and you can have purpose and meaning in life. I hope you'll respond to Him today if you never have. And I hope today, if you know Him, as we know Him, that we'll live for Him with everything that we are. See the Savior providing for us the complete forgiveness for our sins. Lord, we praise You. That in the cross, the world sees tragedy and they see martyrdom.
and they just see an example. And really, they can't really see what it means. But Lord, to those who believe, the preaching of the cross is the power and the wisdom of God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. Lord, if there's someone here that hasn't really fully embraced that, I pray that today, that they would embrace that, they'd receive you, they'd begin to live their lives for the one who died so their sins would be forgiven, and they would believe in Jesus and be saved. I pray that each of us, as we go through this week, this this Holy Week, and we think about those events, and we think about your cross, would be so grateful that we would want to live every second of our lives only for you. I pray that you would help this be true in each of us. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.